Before we get started this morning, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the message this morning. Lord, I thank you for the word. Lord, I thank you that as we go through your word, as we discover who you are, Lord, I pray that we would become ever more in love with you. Lord, I pray that we would just, you would draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray that we would glorify and reflect you wherever we go. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, I'm going to start a new series called I Am. The series isn't about who I am, but about who Jesus is. Amen? We are entering into the season that uh, many Christians refer to as Lent or the Lenten season. Uh, if, if you grew up, uh, now, if you grew up Catholic or Lutheran, you know that Lent is one of the most, uh, one of the, the more holy seasons throughout the year. It begins on Ash Wednesday, which is this Wednesday, and it lasts 40 days until Thursday, the Thursday before Easter. And how many know what that's called? No, 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 the, the, the Thursday before Easter. Maundy Thursday, right? I've always pronounced it wrong. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing it right now, but it's Maundy Thursday, right? It's not Monday Thursday. It's Maundy Thursday. So uh, it's during this time, and, and here's the thing. When, when people uh, acknowledge Lent and, and if they follow Lent, it's during this time that they abstain from certain foods, they abstain from certain activities, and they do what's called a fast. The purpose is for us to take time devoted to those things and instead focus that time on Jesus. Amen? That's not a bad thing, right? It's to take, take that time, focus on Jesus, focus on his life, his death, his resurrection. So we're reflecting on those things. We're considering those things. Uh, if you were raised Catholic or Lutheran, you probably did this every year, right? Every year at Lent. So you'll see, uh, you'll see in a lot of places they'll have fish Fridays or fish fries uh, because there's no meat during Lent, right? So you eat fish. Uh, I was raised in a non-denominational church. And rarely did we even think about or talk about Lent. We just never even thought or talked about it. We talked about fasting, but fasting was something we, we could do any time of the year, right? It wasn't just Lent. And so uh, it simply just wasn't a part of our yearly tradition. So we had other traditions, but Lent wasn't one of them. So as I was considering and praying about what to preach on, I was drawn to what Lent represents. Not so much in the practice of fasting, but the time that we take to reflect and consider who Jesus is. Amen? I think that, that we need to take time in our lives to reflect and consider who Jesus is. The message today is entitled, I Am. I Am. Some of you may be familiar with what are known as the seven I Ams of Jesus. Over the next few weeks, I want to guide you through who Jesus declares himself to be. Jesus says, I am, right? Each declaration of Jesus that we will examine and consider is found in the book of John. We're going to start there with John chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. This is what it says. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is, in the, which is the Sea of Tiberias. 
And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. He was healing the sick. So they saw this, and they started following him. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, uh, we were talking about, myself and Doreen were talking about, Doreen, what is the name of the mountain? It's called Mount Arbel. It's right by Tiberias, right by the Sea of Galilee. There's only one mountain there, and actually Doreen walked up, and I walked up too. Uh, it's called Mount Arbel, and when you go up there, it's quite a hike, and you get up there, and you can overlook and see all of the sea of Galilee. It's really just a beautiful place to be. This is where Jesus went. He sits down with his disciples, and there's room for thousands, thousands of people, right? So it was time of the Passover. The feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. He himself knew what he, what he would do. If you're familiar at all with the life of Jesus, you know that this is the account of what we call the loaves and the fishes, Right? Uh, so this large crowd, it's about 5,000 men. Uh, that's not even counting the women and the children. So you have a large, large crowd coming. And Jesus says, listen, we see all these people. Uh, what are we going to do to feed them? Because Christians know we need to eat, right? Hey, if there's anything we're good at, it's having potlucks. Amen? Philip has asked the question, how are we going to feed all these people? But Jesus already knows the answer to his own question. A boy comes in, you know the story, he comes in with five loaves and two fishes. Jesus gives thanks for it and then starts handing it out to the crowd, right? And of course, we know that the miracle is that everybody eats their fill, and at the end of the meal, there's 12 baskets left over of bread. Pretty amazing miracle. Takes five loaves and two fishes and feeds well over what estimates are five to ten to fifteen thousand people because it wasn't just the men it was the women and the children as well the crowd sees this miracle and they go wild they go wild jesus perceives that because of the way they're reacting they want to take him and make him king he's like i don't want any part of that they want to make him king of israel they want to make him king to to uh, he knows that this is not this is not his mission his mission then is not to be king. His mission soon is to come back as the king of kings, right? He's going to be the king of kings. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, right? That's who he is. So this time he, he came to earth wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, right? He came in humble beginnings. But when he comes back, he's going to come back in power and glory. Amen? So at this time, it's not his mission to be king. But he knows that he needs, to, he needs to get away from these people. So he, he, the Bible says he escapes, and he goes up to the mountain. He goes, he goes up further into Mount Arbel. In the Bible, it just says mountain. We know that the, it's the only mountain in the region, right, Mikey? So we know that it's Mount Arbel. Mike's been there as well. So at night, John gives us a shortened version of the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. Uh, in the book of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, it gives us a little bit more... Uh, details on what happened here that Jesus had told his disciples to to go and travel on the sea in John we don't see that so much it just says Jesus went up to the mountain 
there are other accounts they dig deeper, and there's a significance in looking at it briefly. I only want to look at it briefly because most are aware of this account, right? They're, they're rowing at night, and a storm comes up. Now, you have to understand something about the Sea of Galilee. While I was there and while we were there, uh, we're told that because of the mountain, these storms come up, and they come up super unexpectedly. I mean, really, really quickly, they come up, they're violent, they're, they're fierce, and then, I mean, the winds, they shake and everything, and then they go just as quickly. So it's just that region is kind of, it's in a valley, it is what it is. So they're going, and they're rowing, and they're, they're, they're trying to, to get to where they want to go, and they're rowing for hours and hours and hours. And they're making very little progress. They're not getting anywhere. I like what this commentary says. It it has to do with Mark chapter 6, verse 48. It says this. Jesus watched the disciples as they rode across the lake. His eye was on them the whole time. They were working hard. They had been sent there by Jesus. They were within the will of God. But they were fighting against the storm. They were probably frustrated now. They're trying to row and row and row, and they're just not getting anywhere. How many know what I'm talking about? How many ever been there where you row and you row and you row? You're you're working hard. You're you're doing what God's called you to do. You're in the will of God, but you're just not getting anywhere. The Bible says that Jesus' eyes were on them the whole time. He goes to the sea, and he starts doing this. Imagine this is, have you ever played that game where uh, there's lava on the floor? Yeah, this isn't lava. This is just a sea. Right? This is a sea of water. It's a nice blue sea, Gary. You see, it's, <laughs> you see it's nice and blue. And so it's just a nice sea. And so Jesus goes to the water and he goes like this and just starts walking. And they're over there rowing and rowing and rowing. And he gets to the boat. And here's the amazing miracle. He gets to the boat. We know that at this part, different, uh, different gospels give different descriptions. Uh, we know Peter would have stepped out of the boat at this time. But he gets to the boat, and when he steps onto the boat, the Bible says that the boat was all of a sudden transported to where it needed to be. I don't know if you're getting this. They had been rowing and rowing and rowing in frustration. They were within the will of God, but they were just rowing. They weren't getting anywhere. But the eyes of Jesus were on them the entire time. And when it came to the appropriate time, he walks out on the water, goes onto the boat, and what would have taken them to get there a long, 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 long time, when Jesus was in the boat, they got there instantaneously. Right? God will move you where you need to be when you are obedient to his will. He will move you where you need to be. We get frustrated with our work. We get frustrated with the mission. We feel like it's going nowhere. But Jesus has his eye on you. Jesus has his eye on us. Man, sometimes frustration gets a hold of me, right? How many, I know, I'm, this, maybe it's just me. Does frustration ever get a hold of you? Just, just frustrated. I know, Regan. Absolutely. Jesus will supernaturally move you where you need to be at the appropriate time 
we have faith. If we keep following his will, rowing and rowing and rowing, you say, Pastor David, it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. We keep following the will of God. The next day, this is cool. The next day, the crowd goes to find him. They don't see him anywhere. They go to the place where he had fed the 5,000. They say, where is he? So they all jump in their boats. I mean, this is like his fan base, right? They jump in their boats and they start rowing. This is, this is what it is. This is like, uh, I mean, they're just, I mean, they're, they're, they want to see Jesus. They want to get to clo- as close to him as possible. They jump in their boats and they start rowing over to Capernaum. They get to Capernaum and it's there that they find Jesus. Verse 25 says this. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. This is where Jesus, uh, Jesus calls them out. He says, you aren't looking for spiritual fulfillment. You're looking to be filled by bread. You're looking for physical fulfillment. You're looking just to, be, to fill your stomachs up. Then he says this, verse 27. Go to the next slide, verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. He's talking about himself. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in me. Not just about me, right? Not just the facts about Jesus, but that you believe in me. The people hear this and they begin to question him. In fact, in questioning him, they try to, they try and coax a miracle out of him. They say, Jesus, give us a sign, right? So they say, verse 30, says this. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? They're trying to manipulate him now. They're trying to coax something out of him. They're trying to, well, show us something to believe you. Show us something that we may believe you are who you say you are. What work do you perform? And then they bring up verse 31. I, this is kind of, boy. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now they're bringing up Moses. They're bringing up the forefathers. They're saying, hey, you remember the miracles of Moses? And so they're now, now trying to goad him and say, listen, hey, Jesus, you saying that you're from God? Well, you remember the miracles from Moses? He, manna came down from heaven. What can you do for us? I mean, you know, this is a dangerous place to be. They're in a dangerous place right now. What are you going to do for us? And then Jesus says this, verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir... Give us this bread always. They're still talking about food. 
They're still talking about physical loaves of bread. When Jesus says these words, he declares who he is. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We get to the first I am of Jesus, right? I love this. I am the bread of life. Keep in mind that clearly Jesus is not talking about natural hunger and thirst here. He's talking about spiritual hunger and thirst. He's the only one in which you will find fulfillment. The people gathered around him aren't buying it. The people that are gathered around him, they just are not buying it. Jesus says to them, verse 36, the next slide, he says this, you have seen me and yet you don't believe. All that the Father gives me I will come to me and whatsoever comes to me I will never cast out. Whosoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of what he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone, say everyone, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Jesus says, this is it. This is the will of my Father. I have come down from heaven, and if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. Jesus is explaining the truth of him being the bread of life. The bread of life. He is that which will fulfill your soul. When he says this, the Jews become angry. They start grumbling. The Bible says they start grumbling. They say, who does this guy think he is? Hey, isn't this Joseph's boy? That's what they start saying. Wait a second. Isn't this Joseph's boy? We know this guy. Who does he think he is to call himself the bread of life? He come down from heaven. Jesus hears their grumblings and says, stop it. Stop it. We said verses 43 through 50, and he says this. Uh, we're not going to go there quite yet. Don't go to that slide yet, Evan. Here's what happens, 4350, he, he lays down them for the hard truth of who he is. He lays down the hard truth. He says this, stop your grumbling. How many ever had, how many, how many ever been complaining about something? Come on. No? You've been complaining about something, so just stop it. How many married? All right? married and your spouse just gets sick of it. So you're grumbling and complaining and oh, I can't believe Walmart doesn't have this on sale. Whatever it is, you know. And you look and you're like, stop it. It's nonsense. You're grumbling, you're complaining. Stop it. This is what Jesus says to them. Stop it. Stop your grumbling. Stop your complaining. The bread that you talk about with Moses and your fathers, he says they ate it and they still died. Don't you get it? They ate the bread that was from heaven, yet they still died. Don't you understand? You aren't supposed to be looking for that kind of bread. He says this, starting in verse 48. 48, Evan. He says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. 
I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then he makes a statement which sounds weird. And the bread that I will give you, that I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. The bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. See, Jesus is speaking to the old guard now. He's speaking to the old guard. He's speaking to the old faith. He's challenging the very core of who they are. You got bread from Moses. We get that. They died. I'm the bread of life. You must eat of this bread. This bread that I give you is my flesh. It is my flesh. Now, the Jews hear this, and they start really grumbling, right? Now they're like, whoa, hold on a second. If you thought this was bad before, now it hits the fan, right? Now the Jews are saying, wait a minute, this guy says that we need to eat his flesh? Are you kidding me? This guy is, this is getting out of hand, guys. This, this crazy man over here is saying, now, now we have to eat his flesh. This is getting out of hand. This is done. And what he's saying is crazy. Now, I hope we know that Jesus is being figurative here. This is what they call a metaphor. Amen? He is in no way saying that people need to literally eat his flesh. Please never take it that way. He's using the metaphor. The Jews know that he's using a metaphor, but they start trying to twist his words. This is, man, that's what the enemy likes to do. The enemy will try to twist the words of the Lord. Jesus is using a metaphor. He's using figurative language here. He says, you'll have to eat my flesh. And so Jesus senses this is what they're doing. They're twisting it. They're trying to twist this into something it's not. And I love what Jesus does here. I love this. This is awesome. He sees the Jewish leaders. He sees what they're trying to do. So instead of backing down, he doubles down. How many of you ever known someone, and they just never back down, right? Jesus didn't back down. He doubled down with this verse. Go to the next slide. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I couldn't help but think of the walking dead during this, <laughs> during when I was preparing this. It's so grotesque. It is, this is gross. Jesus is using offensive and grotesque language here. He's saying you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Pretty gross, right, Bobby? This is like, I mean, this is pretty rough language. Gross, offensive, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Jesus is pointing to the way he will die. He's pointing to the way he will die. He's pointing, he's pointing to the way, what, what, how are we getting salvation? It's coming through his death. It's coming through his flesh and his blood. He's not even referring to communion at this time. 
He's not even referring to communion at this time. There's uh, in the Catholic Church this this taking they've they've taken this metaphor out of context for years and years and years, millennia, in fact. I like that this commentary says says this. Practically speaking, how do we eat the bread that is Jesus? How do we eat the bread that is Jesus? First, this we nourish ourselves with God's word. John says that when Jesus became a man, the word became flesh. Amen? Jesus was the human embodiment of God's word, which means when we read and reflect on the Bible, we are taking in Jesus. We are eating the bread that is Jesus by eating every word of the Bible. The second way we eat the bread that is Jesus is to focus on the cross. Jesus said, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He gave his very body on the cross, his own flesh and his own blood, and he did it so that we can have eternal life. Amen? You may say, Pastor, this is heavy stuff. I mean, this is getting into some heavy territory. I want to say this. Make no mistake. Every time Jesus declares who he is, it's heavy stuff. All right? This isn't hear it, pass it along. This isn't hear it and set it off to the side. This is Jesus declaring who he is. I am the bread of life. At this point in his ministry, it seems a lot of people are following him. A lot of people are following him. They're calling themselves his disciples. He starts saying these words to all of the Jewish leaders and the Jews, and they hear this talk about bread and the flesh and the blood, and they just can't take it. They can't take it anymore. Verse 60 says this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Jesus was intentionally being offensive, right? I mean, this is the, he's, he's using intentionally offensive language. And the Jews hear it, they say, man, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Right? I mean, do we know, what we're saying? know what's going on here? This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Jesus said, you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. When Jesus speaks to you, he doesn't speak to you just in life, but in spirit. So he speaks to you in spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. There are some of you who do not believe. Jesus isn't playing patty cake with them. This isn't isn't a game. This isn't patty cake. He's saying, listen, he's not begging them to follow him. right? He's not saying, please, please follow me. He's not, he's not on his knees begging, just please. He's not desperate for them. Listen, you, you, I, I understand Jesus loves us, wants us, but listen, he's not going to force us into following him. We have to make the decision. He desperately loves us, yes. He desperately loves us and wants us to follow him, of course. But he says, there are some of you who just don't believe. You're offended by this? You just wait. There's plenty more to be offended about.
There are some of you who do not believe, is what Jesus says. You who claim to follow me take offense at my words. You who truly claim to follow me, claim to be following the Spirit, you're offended? Jesus says that hearing this, John John tells us that hearing this, many of those who called themselves his disciples turned away and left. They leave. It reveals their hearts. Jesus isn't begging them, please, please come back. Please stay. We'll give you free coffee. Right? Please stay. We'll make sure you're in a comfortable chair. Please stay. We'll make sure the music is trendy. Please stay. We'll make sure the message doesn't offend you. Please stay. They were only after signs and wonders. They were only after physical bread. They were only after their own needs, their own wants, their own desires. They had no desire for this truth of the Spirit. They just wanted to know what he could give them instead of how they could follow him. How many know? I'm not, listen, how many know we, there's people like that in the church today? There's people like that. Not, I'm not saying in this building. I'm saying the church as a whole. But there might be people like that in this building today. What can I get from God? What can I get from God? Instead of how can I follow him? How can I follow the I am? All of these people leave. All the people leave. The Bible says Jesus turns around and he sees his 12 disciples. He sees his 12 disciples, and this is what he says to him. Go to the next slide. So Jesus said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? Jesus says, Here's your chance. Oh, I put my notes up there. I don't know why. I, this isn't in the scripture, this is just my notes. Jesus says, here's your chance, right? Here's your chance. Peter, I like this. This is in my notes, but he gives the best answer. Simon Peter, verse 68, says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? Peter says, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else are we going to go? I love the words of Peter there. The words of Peter just, man, God, we hear all this. You, you tell us, you want us, you want to go away as well? And Peter says, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to You're the Holy One of God. We have no choice. Lord, who do we go to? It's not even an option for us to leave. Go to the next slide. Jesus declares himself to be the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. You're going to see in the graphic there's a lot of different words here. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. 
we're going to go over the next few weeks here and examine who Jesus says he is. He says, I am dot, dot, dot. When he says, I am the bread of life, he is unpacking this metaphor of his purpose and his mission. Listen, this will, this will lead to his death. This will lead to his death. He says, if you follow me, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Only then will you gain eternal life. Go ahead and stand this morning. My hope and prayer is that over these next few weeks, that you would just, we think about the the season of Lent, we think about the Lenten season and we go, man, not as a matter of religious tradition, but as a matter of reflection, as a matter of considering who Jesus is, right? My, my prayer for you this morning is that over the next few weeks, you would take time to consider who Jesus is, that you would take time to consider who he is in your life, that you would reflect on how is Jesus being glorified in my life. What do his words mean to you? Is he the great I am in your life? Is he the bread of life in your soul? Amen? Amen. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for those who are here to hear this message. Lord, I pray for those who hear it, not only those who are here physically, but those who may hear it over a podcast. Lord, that you would speak deeply to our souls about who you are. Lord, that we would be lifting you up and glorifying you in our everyday life. Not just in church on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Let us glorify the name of Jesus. Let us show others that he is the bread of life. Lord, I thank you for the sweetness of your presence in the sanctuary this morning. I thank you for the testimonies that were shared. Lord, I thank you for the healing that's going to be coming upon people or already has come upon people. I thank you for the words spoken. I thank you for for allowing us to, to come together in fellowship and praise and worship you. Lord, I pray over each person that's here today. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest in Jesus' name. Amen.